Well, good morning. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I am really glad that each and every one of you is here this morning. Wherever you are in your walk, wherever you are, whatever celebrations you bring into this place, whatever hard things you bring into this place, whatever knowledge you bring into this place, whatever lack of knowledge you bring into this place, we're really glad that you're here. It is good to be together. Well, I want to start you this morning with um, the words of uh, one of my favorite poets, Langston Hughes, great poet of uh, almost 100 years ago, penned these words. It's called Tired. Can anybody connect already? <laughs> tired. Hugh says this, I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and let us see what worms are eating at the rind. Do you have the word picture in mind? As I hear those words, and perhaps as you hear those words, we are tempted to look outside and say, what is wrong with this world? The world's always been a mess, but it seems like there's something particular about our time that even as you imagine, okay, what, what can you get people to talk about that wouldn't create conflict in any situation? It seems like we're at a time where everything is a thing. Pumpkin spice and apple cider. I'm apple cider all the way. I don't know. Somebody was already after me on that, though. But how do we step into this time and what, what do we see? What is eating? What are the worms that are eating at the rind? It's easy to look out. It is so easy to look out and see what we think may be the problem. Whether it's political, whether it's technology, whether it's theological, whatever it may be, we may look out and see and say there is something wrong. And there is something wrong. What I don't like about the words of Jesus, though, is they challenge me to look in a different direction than outside. It would be so much more fun to just go on a rant and say what is wrong with the world. But Jesus invites us to do something different than that. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So buckle up as we go. If you're newer with us, we're in a series on the parables. And one of the things that we've said about parables is they're not just nice little illustrations that help us see things or understand teachings more clearly. They can do that. But this word parable, it's, 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 it's a side-by-sideness. And it's a challenge 
that invites us to look at some hard things sometimes. And we've said this, that parables make us do the work that will allow Jesus to work in us and through us. That's one of the purposes of Jesus' parables. That's just what they do. And it's amazing to me how, however many hundreds of years later, they still have the power to do that. They still have the power to, to get inside and see what's going on. I was going to save this till the end, but I'm just going to give you the bottom line up front. And then you, you, we can argue together as we go. And here's the bottom line I want to leave you with, and I'll do it right at the beginning. Where I see others with contempt reveals where I can't see myself with clarity. Where I see others with contempt reveals something inside of me, somewhere I can't see myself with clarity. Now, we have all kinds of devices that give us data about ourselves. We got fancy watches. I got, I got something that can tell me exactly how many hours I slept, what kind of sleep I got, my oxygen level, can tell me my VO2 max, it can tell me my heart rate, my heart rate variability, the calories I burned, it can tell me so much. But what it cannot reveal is the true condition of my heart. Thankfully, Jesus has given us parables to help get at that. So I'm going to read the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We're going to go to Luke chapter 18. It's a brief passage, and we'll really look at it in three ways. We'll read it through once. We'll look at it again a little more carefully, and we'll set ourselves up for that third examination that will really get to the heart. So here's what Jesus says in Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Would you pray with me as we invite the Spirit to work in our hearts? Father, we come to you this morning 
And we invite your word and your spirit to work. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful in that process. Burn off whatever you need to so that your words can be heard clearly. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we try to imagine this story, if you've been around church for a minute, you've heard of Pharisees, you've heard of tax collectors, you bring certain understandings of that. If you're new to this, and we're so thankful that uh, you're here, if that's you, there's some things that we'll need to fill in along the way. So let's look at it again. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Luke, the writer of this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke, companion of the Apostle Paul, he's seen all this, he's gathering the eyewitness accounts, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, I'm going to put it in this order, I'm going to include this. He can't include everything that Jesus taught. He can't include all the details. He gives us this particular parable. And he identifies the purpose with the subtlety of a sledgehammer here. He says, this is who it's for. Those who trust in themselves, the self-righteous, and those who look down on others treat others with contempt. Now, interestingly, and if, if you're, I, I was, I kind of missed this the first 50 times I read it this week, I think, but he doesn't announce that to his audience. He doesn't say, hey, all you who are self-righteous, I'm going to give you a story. He just gives the story, and it does its work in some. Some might receive that, some might reject that. But let's think about what these, this audience identification means. He trusted himself that they were righteous, means they were confident in their own righteousness. They convinced themselves that this is true about themselves. They treat others with contempt. The NIV says they look down on them. Perhaps it's they despise them. To others, they are of no account. What I find interesting as you look at this preface to the parable, there is vertical vision and there is horizontal vision. There is the way I see God and God sees me, and there is the way that I see others. Throughout the Bible and throughout Jesus' teaching, throughout Paul's teaching, we see that the vertical and the horizontal are inextricably linked. Sometimes we want to decouple those, but there's always a connection between the way I see God and God sees me 
in the way I see others. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now let's talk about Pharisees and tax collectors. If you've grown up in church, being called a Pharisee is like one of the worst things you could possibly be called. It has that connotation. It has that baggage. It says I'm judgmental. It says it's about me. I'm self-righteous. It carries that association. It's interesting, though, if you go back and you say, how did the original audience hear this? There might have been some of that, but not near the level that we have today. The Pharisee would have been perceived largely as a good guy. They were the ones who were set apart. They're the ones who followed all the laws. They're the ones who were the backbone of the church. You probably wouldn't turn the Pharisee away from your congregation. It's interesting what happens over time, though, as we try to go back and we try to recover what that what that meant. It's interesting how language works. I was talking with a friend uh, this week in his 30s, and he was talking about some boy that was uh, a little friendlier than he liked him to be with his daughter. And he said, you know, he, he was like super polite, like over-the-top polite, and he said, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, that old show, like from the, like black and white, like what, what was, what was it called? Like Leave it to Beaver. What was that character's name? How many of you know exactly who I'm talking about? How many, some of you say Eddie Haskell and you know it. And as a dad, you see that and you say, that's who I'm worried about right there. If you come across a little rough on the edges, I can deal with that. You come at me, come at my door. Okay, I won't go there. As an Eddie Haskell, we got problems. Now, some of you are like, who in the heck is Eddie Haskell? I don't understand that. you got to explain it to me. That's how the Bible works sometimes. We have to go back, and we've got to understand a little bit how did the writers hear this? How did the audience hear it? So you get the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, in many ways, is the best of the best. The tax collector is the worst of the worst. We don't like taxes. Nobody ever likes taxes except the ones that others pay. But when we think about tax collectors at this time, it's, it's hard for us to get there and see how really awful they were. They were the traitors. They were the Jews who said, I will work for Rome. I will be in cahoots with Rome. You'll charge a certain percent, and whatever I can extort from my own people... I will line my pockets with that. So the gap between Pharisee and tax collector is huge to the original audience. And as the audience hears this, they would have expected the Pharisee to be the good guy 
and the tax collector to be the bad guy. Jesus will do something with that. Now, they've come to the temple to pray. There are times of public prayer. This is more of a private prayer time. Let's look first at the Pharisee's prayer. The Pharisee, verse 11, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. In my not-so-subtle inflection, what do you notice about the prayer? It is centered on I. It is an I prayer. I love the way the old Bible scholar Alfred Plummer says it. He said he glances at God but contemplates himself. He glances at God but contemplates himself. It seems so over the top to us. There is a tradition, a rabbinical rabbi tradition, that there would be prayers kind of like this. Thank you, God, I'm not like this. It's also a prayer of comparison. It is a horizontal prayer. It is one that says, thank you that I am better than this person. It's a prayer, it's a resume prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this, but look at my achievements, look at my accomplishments. I fast twice a week. This would have been Monday and Thursday, much more than what the law would have even required. I give a tenth of everything, down to the smallest spice, again, above and beyond what the law required. This is the Pharisee. Now, let's look at the prayer of the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, this beating on the chest, this is not the, I've just made a big play, and look at me. This is a looking down. This is a posture of deep humility. Just as the the Pharisee will set himself apart for his goodness, when you look at the Greek, the scholars say it actually uses the definite article. It's not a sinner, not any sinner, but I am the sinner, the sinner, the sinner. We hear an echo of this in the Apostle Paul who says, I am the worst of sinners. I am the chief among sinners. The tax collector is at a distance. He doesn't want to be seen. And he prays this, have mercy on me. This word mercy, it's used one other time in a a, a different context in Hebrews 2.17. Let me read this to you. It says, for this reason, he, this is Jesus, writer of Hebrews is saying, okay, let's look at the whole Bible. Let's see how the Old Testament, let's see how it all points to Jesus, how it all is fulfilled in Jesus. 
He says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement. ESV will use the word propitiation for the sins of the people. Now let us picture the scene. We're at the temple. What happened at the temple? This was a place of blood sacrifice. If you read some of those books in the Old Testament, you go back and you see the whole sacrificial system. This word propitiation, it's something is propitious, something is good that is done to bring about reconciliation, to remove the separation from God, to remove the wrath upon sin. There's a whole cluster of words that different translators will use to describe this process. And the writer of Hebrews will say, Jesus is the one who is fulfilling this. He is the sacrifice. Now let's pause for just a moment and let's talk about that sacrifice. Sometimes, again, with our, with our modern ears, it becomes difficult for us. Why? You know, maybe you grew up in church and you're like, okay, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I hear that over and over. And, but we don't, we don't really grasp that or it just becomes some kind of spiritual, uh, I hate to even say it, but for some that's how they experience it. It's almost like a spiritual cliché. It's like, what does, that really, what does that really mean? And how do, I, how do I get at that? How do I, you know, and how could, how could, how could a, a loving God allow these things? And all these big questions that get at the very character of God, that get at his love, his mercy, his justice, how all those things fit together. And the New Testament gives us different ways of thinking about it. Sometimes we talk about, you know, we're adopted into the family. Sometimes we talk about Jesus being victorious over the powers of sin and death. We talk about Jesus rescuing us. And we talk about the atoning sacrifice. And to our modern ears, that seems kind of barbaric sometimes. And we're like, how does this even work? John, when he grew up, and he, uh, this is young John, this, or this is older John. Remember, young John was the one who was trying to say, uh, his mom would say, uh, hey, are my boys going to sit at the right and the left hand of you and be in charge? John says this, 1 John 4.10, he says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The sacrifice, the atonement, the reconciliation. I like the way Jackie Hell Perry puts it in her book, Holier Than Thou. So when we read the sentence, God is love, disconnected from a fundamental understanding that God is holy, 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 we interpret the text with our experience as the commentary. Using our life as a cross-reference, we inevitably end up with a God made in our own image 
and expect him, him to behave just like us. Anybody guilty of that sometimes? God, why don't you do it this way? Why did you have to put this system? I, I want to look at it through my own eyes, through my own understanding, through my own way of thinking how a father ought to act. Back to the parable, verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's the tax collector's prayer for mercy, for forgiveness that is answered. He is the one who is declared not guilty. He is the one who is justified. The Pharisee who came with his resume does not leave with that forgiveness and justification. So what is the message to those who trust in themselves? That they are righteous and treat others with contempt. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. These words... As I imagine Luke, as he's remembering what Jesus had said, and Paul and Luke would travel together on their missionary journeys, and in this just beautiful passage, Paul describes Jesus in this process. And he says, our attitude should be that of Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then these words, Philippians 2 verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Beautiful description of that. Now, we've got some of the theological work done. Let's dig in. I led with this statement, where I see others with contempt reveals where I can't see myself with clarity. How does this parable read you this morning? How does it read you? Maybe some of you, you start with this, thank you, God, I'm not like the tax collector. What I find sometimes, though, is when I lean into it, I say, thank you, God, that I'm not the Pharisee. Sometimes I have contempt for people that I see as Pharisees. We got Pharisees of all stripes. <laughs> and when I look out, sometimes I have contempt. I want to look down. On Pharisees. So I have to do some hard work and say, 
What does this reveal about me? I'm one, I just, we're leading to a time of communion and confession, so I'll lead the way. I like to, to look at the extremes, what I perceive to be extremes politically in all kinds of ways and say, that is not me. Thank you, Jesus. I am not like that. I see things perfectly and clearly. I am not that. That may look good on the surface, but underneath there is an ugly pride to that that says, I see more clearly than you or you. Lord's been working on me this week. How did, how, I, I got to confess that. So let me ask you this morning, who's in that blank for you? Who's in that blank for you? Who is it that you look down on? Who is the one to whom you have contempt? Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's really just kind of personal and there's a name to it. I don't know who that is for you. As we think about, though, how to respond to that, I don't want to just leave you with that. There's a great practice uh, that's been around hundreds and hundreds of years. In the early church, they, they, they took this parable and they took this prayer and uh, they, they turned it into something that uh, historically is known as simply the Jesus prayer. And it's simply this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me a sinner. That's the prayer. But it's a prayer that's prayed slowly and deliberately. And what I have on my prayer card for you is that prayer repeated four times with different words highlighted. Sometimes I want to focus on Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Sometimes I want to focus on mercy, Sometimes I want to focus on me. What does that look like? I love the way um, Rich Velotis talks about this practice in a new book called Good and Beautiful and Kind, reference in the Hughes poem. He says, Christians throughout the ages have looked to this parable and used it as a framework for prayer and for loving well because the prayer is good for the soul. The prayer grounds us in, an ongoing, in our ongoing capacity to miss the mark. It calls us to receive Jesus' mercy desperately and joyfully. In a blaming and scapegoating culture, the Jesus prayer helps us confront our duplicitous ways. In an attacking and shaming society, the Jesus prayer grounds us in our own inconsistencies. In a finger-pointing and judgmental world, the Jesus prayer awakens us to the dark secrets we harbor within. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's our response this week. Now, this parable itself leads us really well to the communion table. And we built in a little bit of extra time this morning 
to do that. So I want you to be in a, a posture of humility, a, an attitude of reflection as we prepare to come to the communion table this morning. Just hang tight in your seats for a moment. The Apostle Paul in his description of communion says that we ought to examine ourselves before we come to the table, and that's what we're going to do. Here at Community Church, the the communion table is open to all who put their faith and trust in Christ. Doesn't mean you have it all figured out. Doesn't mean you've, you've, you've achieved a certain level on the moral performance scale. But you've prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you've done that. And we come as a, a community. And we come with empty hands. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room and he broke the bread. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he, he took the cup and he said, this is, this is the blood, the blood of the new covenant, blood that will be shed, the atoning blood for the forgiveness of sin. So that's what he invites us to do. And we remember that. And uh, right now, I want to give you some slightly different instructions than what we sometimes do. We have the tables that are open, and I'll invite you here in a moment uh, to receive. But some of you, for the first time, maybe you say, yeah, I have mercy on me, Jesus. I'm, I'm ready for the first time to come. Maybe that's you today. You come as the tax collector. My suspicion, though, is many of us will come this morning as the Pharisee. And we need to come with an attitude of confession, an attitude that says, this is the person to whom I look down upon. This is the person in the depths of my heart where I say, thank you, God, I'm not like So as we continue to reflect, I would invite you, after I pray, to do this, that you can, you can simply confess that to God. But some of you today as a community, you may turn and face one another, and you may want to simply share that, just as I did, that this is on my heart. It doesn't have to be long. Some of you, even as you come up and receive the elements, you may want to go back and um, just take, receive the elements together. But whatever the case, as I, as I pray, know that the table is open and allow the Spirit to lead you. Father, as we come to you in this moment, we're thankful for the blood and the cup and all that it represents. So as your people, as we gather, as we're taught by your Spirit, as we come forward to receive Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Table is open to receive.